Podcast ain't played nobody. Um, Christmas Hanukkah edition, because Hanukkah starts on Christmas Eve. Uh, so we're going to roll those two holidays together. And of course, we're going to start by talking about a game I didn't watch, but Bill did, and it's very on brand. What, what, what did Idaho do last night? They got mad. Yeah, so in the numerical, uh, the way I put it this morning in the numerical was basically like, you always, you know, we always talk about like in, in, in hindsight, they weren't ready to play, they didn't want to be there, et cetera, et cetera. You always think you're ready, and you always think you want to be there. But Colorado State trotted out onto the Albert Stadium field where they almost beat Boise a couple months ago, and it was cold, and every time they tried to cut, they slipped and fell, and their opponent was fired up with a massive point to prove and a chip on, uh, and the, the, the customary Idaho chip on the shoulder. Uh, and they realized real quick that they did not want to be there. Um, and it got, I mean, they rallied. It was fine. Like, you know, it was the strangest shootout you've ever seen because there was like 100 combined yards in the first quarter. Um, punt, 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 turnover, turnover on downs, punt, punt, punt. Uh, and then once they started, like Colorado State scores to start the second quarter. And then apparently that was all they really had in the, in the mental gas tank because then Idaho scored the next 41 uh, and then, of course, the two teams combined for almost 500 yards in the fourth quarter alone. It was weird. And it was a very weird points. game. 56 points, including a, thir- a 36er in the fourth quarter from Colorado State scored 36 points in a quarter and lost the game. Yeah, yeah, no, it was funny because, I mean, they uh, you look at, at the total yardage, it was like 600 to 600, basically. Like, man, Colorado State's defense really let them down. Like, no, the offense did, too. <laughs> they, they gave up a 41 to nothing run. Uh, that's both sides of the ball. That is very, very both sides of the ball. But then Idaho, man, just as I started getting these dreams of like, man, they, they have absolutely no reason to let up to, to show any sportsmanship whatsoever. They could go for like an 80 to 14 win here. Mm-hmm. Um, they, their defense completely and totally let up in Colorado state who has a very, very, very good offense finally got going. But, um, yeah, it was those second and third quarters where it was 41 to 14 Idaho. Like they just they wanted to be anywhere else in the world. Every single time every t- single time somebody tried to step up and make a play, they would slip and fall to the ground because it was uh nice and crystally icy uh, on the field. Um and Idaho didn't have that same problem. You know, they would do like a double move and the Colorado State uh DB would fall down and the receiver would trot into the end zone. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe the, the key here is that Idaho's equipment managers did better than Colorado state's equipment managers, but no, it was weird. It was a super weird game. And, uh, you know, that's all you can ask for weird weather, weird game. We got weird weather, two straight days. It rained a deluge in San Diego, uh, and then customary ice in Idaho. So yeah, we're, I, I don't know what that means for the Hawaii bowl on Saturday, but it was fun. I had to be the only person in the world who was in an, in, at an NHL game and then would walk to get a beer at the concession stand and then look up at the various bars inside of the Bridgestone Arena, see this game Very on. Very nice arena, think, by the way. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, look up and say, oh, I've got to follow this for work. I had to have been the only human being where those two those two diagrams were, were crossing over last night. Um a 36er, it's a good box score bingo candidate, I guess. I mean, if I, if I, if I gave you this blind and even just gave you the score by quarter, um, what a mess. Uh, Matt Linehan was, let's see, 20, see, these aren't actually that insane. 21 of 31, 381 for four touchdowns. I mean, 12, 12.3 yards of pass. Nick Stevens for Colorado State, 12.4 yards of pass, five touchdowns, 445 uh, yards all of pass. that coming late. Yeah. It's funny that we talked about junk time um, on the last episode, actually, and I asked you yeah. if you were going to revise your stat. This would have been a uh, – well, what do you do in a situation like this where it ends up being a, what, an 11-point difference? Well, it is, you, I mean, it was all garbage time. time off? No, well, I mean, if it's if it goes to an eleven point difference with like six minutes left, then sure. I mean, you could kind of make a case for. Um, uh, I mean, that like I said, you know, not having time available in the play by play that I use really kind of hurts you in that regard because it is it, it, fifteen minutes is a long time, and and yeah, if they cut that from a whatever it was thirty four point deficit to a, an eleven point deficit with five six minutes left, it is absolutely no longer garbage time because Idaho has to close the game they, their starters are on the field they have to go out and close the game but you look at it I mean Colorado State scored two touchdowns in the last 67 seconds so I mean with two minutes left they were up 26 points so that's that's no matter by any definition that's garbage time I 100% have to go to an Idaho game next year it's too on brand for us not to address this man they finished nine and four and they're about to get relegated essentially yeah. 
Yeah, I, it was funny last night too because um, I made this joke the other day. I, revi- I I revisited it last night, saying you know Idaho's playing like you know the win- if they win they get in the Mountain West. Um, first of all, I wish that would happen, but um, but second of all, it was funny because I, I got a couple nasty Boise State responses, basically saying no, this is the last time they're ever allowed on our home field. No, uh, they're done. And so um, the the bitterness that is a very underrated rivalry from a pure. Uh, just bitterness and hostility standpoint, uh, which makes me wish that Idaho could stay up and somehow, despite Boise State, uh, score a bid to the Mountain West just so they could start playing every year again. But, um, no, you know, and I mean, this isn't, uh, it's not like Idaho was like a top 50 caliber team here. They're like top 80, 90, and, and uh, they, Petrino had to, to dip into the Juco well pretty hard, and they have, a, um, you know, they still have a lot of, uh, they're not completely senior heavy here. They'll have a lot of juniors who come back next year. They could be pretty decent again. I mean, it's going to be, if they did stay in FBS, it would probably be hard to re- retain that level because we have to dip into the JUCO well constantly once you start. But it's neat. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for them. And, I, you know, they're going to end up going to FCS after winning like 16 to 18 games over the last two years in FBS. And that's just weird. And I wish there was some, uh, some way they could squeeze into the Mountain West just for fun. So... What if they go to the FCS and they just start wrecking it? I mean, they could. I mean, that's, you know, obviously the big sky is like the SEC of the FCS. Well, no, I guess that's the Colonial. But um, regardless, that, that's a very, very good conference. And Eastern Washington and all those teams, like they they could be a, a very strong a very strong performer in a very strong conference, go to the playoff most years, probably finish in the top five or ten most times. And it'll be funny because if they do that for five or ten years, depending on how the landscape changes, and it maybe doesn't change at all, or maybe it gets even tighter and, and we start going towards that awful 70-team you know, subdivision of its own kind of thing. But, I mean, depending on the landscape, technically they could get their act together and, and you know put a... a sustained product on the field and then get tempted to jump back up. But they still have to have a landing point, though. And as long as Boise State's in Mountain West, you don't figure uh, that's going to be very welcoming. And there's nobody else in the West, so geography's always going to probably screw them, I guess. Really um, what they should do, the, the entire big sky should should move up to FBS. That's what I'm going to say. Well, before we flesh that out, because we probably have the ability to do so, this is podcast and <laughs> yeah. played nobody. This is our college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He's the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall and the author of the forthcoming book, 50 Best College Football Teams, asterisk, of all time. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. I have a cold. Uh, we are continuing our GoFundMe campaign for Democracy Prep. We're almost there. Uh, I know you guys are probably tired of hearing me talk about it, but we're getting ever so close. We're running it through the end of the actual football season, so... The national championship in Tampa in early January. Um, give if you haven't. If you have, we appreciate it. Give some more. I don't know if it's tax deductible. Just tell people it is. You can claim it. Nobody gets audited. It's fine. Okay. Uh, you can check out. We have links to this on the podcast page at SB Nation. You can check out my Twitter at Thirty Eight Godfrey. It's pinned up there. I usually tweet about it once every couple days. Um, we are trying to finish this bad boy off in style. Maybe if I hadn't gotten into a fight on Twitter with Imgo Blog, the Michigan Money Cannon would have just continued to carry us through to our goal. That's true. Yeah, you kinda, just, that was a gift horse in the mouth kind of stuff. You, you punched a gift horse in the mouth. Well, I don't think the two are necessarily connected. Like, I don't think Imgo Blog <laughs> speaks specifically for all Michigan fans. In fact, I know... If anything, this podcast has taught me we have a copious amount of really cool, down-to-earth Michigan fans, which, I mean, you know basically is mutually exclusive from Imgo blog. So, I mean, I was kind of shocked by that. Um, there are we, a uh, lot of good people who write for and participate at Imgo blog. We are, we are. Interesting. Well, I tell yeah. you what, you, you, you provide one of those in the, in the, in the flesh, in the IRL, and uh, I'll, I'll uh, retract that statement. Well, I mean, okay, well, next time in Michigan, I'll start, uh, next time I'm in Michigan, I'll start uh, rounding them up. Oh, they're everywhere. Look, they've infested That's true. That's, true. That's, that's the one thing we know is Michigan Michigan men are everywhere. Yeah, uh, but no, thanks to the, the partial Michigan money cannon, that's the cool part. The part of the Michigan money cannon that remembers that, uh, one, it's okay if players receive benefits because they're putting their lives and futures on the line, and two, you had two NCAA championships vacated because you were paying basketball players. <laughs> you narrow-minded idiots. Um, all right, let's jump ahead. <clears throat> We've already previewed the okay. games that we're going to see today, 
So we're going to talk, I guess, like, we've been so far either on-brand or off-brand. I don't even know, Bill, but we haven't talked about the playoff. <laughs> we're going to get to that. Uh, we're going to get to that next week because you have playoff previews coming up, and also I'm prepping for uh, the Fiesta Bowl. So I've got to figure out what I'm going to write about ostensibly for an Alabama game preview, although every time I've said that, I could hear like a little noise in the back of my head. Uh, possibly because I'm psychosomatic, um, that it's growing. And, and, and it's saying the more that you count on Alabama winning, the more fate is going to embarrass you. Well, so, yeah, I mean, the one thing there is that even, you know, despite ranking number one in my, in my rankings, in most rankings, um, when, I, when I projected out the playoff, you know, all the potential odds and everything, they, it, it, they had like a 44% chance of winning. And, and that's an overwhelming shot, you know, compared to the other three. But it's still basically a coin toss. You know, heads, Alabama wins. Tails, somebody else wins. There's still a 50-50 shot that somebody else wins this. And so, I mean, yeah, like, I, I don't know if Washington will do it, but... Well, um, I, I, if you told me that, I would believe it. I thought you were saying there was a 41 chance, 41% chance for them to be in the, in the title. But my, my assumption is not that they will necessarily beat Clemson or Ohio State. My assumption is that they would be Washington. Yeah, well, they got like a 70, 80% chance of doing that. But, why, right. but that's that still, makes, even makes me then, feel good about my plan. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, even then, that's that's still 20, 30% that somebody else wins it, So uh, that Washington wins it. So, I mean, there, that does, um, I, I, I think, and we'll talk about this, I'll probably write about this too. Like, it's kind of funny, the, the major advantage that all four teams have over the other in the playoff in these two matchups is uh, pass rush and passing downs. Uh, all four teams have very good pass rushes, and all four teams also ca- are kind of vulnerable to pass rushes, except Clemson. Clemson is probably the best at that. Watson gets the ball out of his hands really quickly and evades pass rushers really well. But um, if Alabama's if that run game isn't clicking at a super high level, and I mean Washington has the defensive front to to really kind of frustrate them a little bit, you can still you can still get to Jalen Hurts. You can still kind of frustrate him in third and nine, second and eight type of situations. Um, and he's still a freshman. And so there's always a chance that, you know, Alabama comes out and he gets sacked a couple times and throws a couple picks and that, and, and Washington gets some points out of it. And it defines the game to some degree where Alabama's playing catch up. And so, yeah, I, I mean, there's always, there's always a chance of oddity. And again, we should say this till next week, I guess, but, um, uh, yeah, Alabama is the clear favorite overall, and on on um, it's Saturday, right? That's I'm gonna march. I'm gonna mar- I'm gonna continue to march blindly into this game, thinking that I'm writing an Alabama preview. But no, I mean, odds odds favor that. It's just odds aren't. It's not ninety five percent. It's just uh, uh, there's still a chance that there's chaos. And like you said before, that means you're gonna go to the Fiesta Bowl and write about the new national title favorite. I hope that's the backup plan. So if you're if you're curious what I'm talking about, so SB Nation, we try and we try and future proof a lot of our content. We don't tend to look backwards a whole lot unless it's a very unique moment in time or we're actually planning on something that looks way backwards that'll that'll be coming in the off season. I think you guys are gonna I think our podcast audience here is really gonna love. But um in terms of a game happen, in journalism we used to call them gamers, right? So you know, duh LSU ran for 244 yards in a 30 to, you know, 17 win over Arkansas, da 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 Like the stuff that you would see for years and years and years in newspapers. We don't do that. In fact, a lot of newspapers stop doing that. Some still do. Wire services still do them. We tend to try and spin everything forward. If we go to an individual game, it's more about a unique story, hopefully, or some sort of circumstance that's forthcoming. And so... For me to go and just write about Ohio State beating Clemson or vice versa, that's of interest and relevance for about, what, Bill, 12 hours before people start really focusing, if that, on, on the actual playoff. I think in this circumstance it's even less because it would be a rematch of either last year's national championship game, again, assuming Alabama beats Washington, or um, a rematch of one of the best games I've ever seen in my life, which was the Sugar Bowl two years ago. So... Uh, we've got to try. We, what we're trying to do is figure out how to create something on site that lasts for days that we can talk about. So, um, I don't know if that's of interest to anybody, but that's that's from a journalism standpoint. That's where I I have to look at these games and try and make bets, which is I guess to pull the curtain all the way back. Probably the genesis of Bill and I's relationship is me going to him, sort of like you know as much of an odds maker as possible. 
you know, we've made jokes before about when I would do embeds with underdog teams trying to figure out who had the best probability, although that never really seemed to pay out. Yeah. yeah. Until this year. Um, Until this year. Everything yeah. came up Godfrey this fall. Damn right. Go West Point. Um, yeah, no one, you know, I think maybe six or seven PAPN listeners hit me up as soon as the Army Navy game was over and said, The streak is dead, which is terrifying because that <laughs> means that the streak was getting way more publicity than I wanted it to. Because I have to lie to these sports information directors and athletic directors every time I pull one of these things off. If anyone were to ever connect the dots and look at the specific games, until now, because Army won, they would have seen that I am pestilence. You know, I'm coming in and cursing the program every single time. But that's neither here nor there. Um, we will, I guess. <laughs> Hold on for a second. We'll get to MTSU in Hawaii in a bit. Um, the story I've been asked to tell, and I think I've forgotten like three podcasts in a row. Okay. So, Willie Taggart went to Oregon. Yes, he did. He got hired. Um, I break news occasionally for SB Nation. It's part of my job. But it's not like the focus of my job. So, there are guys out there like Brett McMurphy at ESPN and Pete Dammel at uh, SI and Bruce Feldman at Fox. And they, I think probably those three guys, am I missing anybody? And I guess coachingsearch.com. Right. They sort of come from, they're, they're sort of the bulk of the breaking news culture on Twitter for college coaching jobs. And we don't really attempt to do that much at SB Nation. Jason Kirk's focus as our college football editor is more that I find out what's going on and we have a story ready to go. Because for like technical traffic reasons, we like to be up front and have the information confirmed independently by, by us, which is, I guess, me, and then have content ready to go. Um, that's kind of our like philosophy for doing that. Um, but all reporters have pretty substantial egos. Because in my case, I work for SB Nation, which isn't often recognized by people like ESPN as a good, like valuable news service. Take a, a sip, a, sip of coffee here. Give me, give me some sort of reaction. Uh, nope, just dead air. Okay, perfect. That's really the only one I had. So okay. That's so my goal, which is sort of like going off script from what I'm asked to do, is I want to be able to make to sort of bend the will of these big giants at ESPN. And by the way, I'm not talking about Brett McMurphy specifically. He's a very nice man. In fact, just so everybody knows most of the people that you guys see that compromise like the whole um, college football media, and Bill, stop me if you disagree, but I think you agree more than most people. We're all friends. Like, it, they're all cool people. Like, if we're yeah. all at an event together, we all, like, get together and hang out. Like, it's not like... I've read horror stories about NBA and NFL media. Right. We're, we're the total opposite of that. Like Yeah, NFL especially. Yeah, Dan Rubenstein is sort of the social chair when we all get together, and then... <laughs> I mean, everybody from, like, Bruce and Stu at Fox and um, all the SI people. I mean, honestly, Andy Staples at SI was instrumental in sort of indoctrinating me in the world when I got this job four years ago. And, no, everyone's super, super cool, so I want to make that clear. Um, but I'm, I'm competitive, right? And I want to have it out there just so people can say, as first reported by SB Nation, because there's still a stigma inside our, our industry amongst the olds at like high up in the offices at Bristol or in places like Fox or the New York Times or USA Today that we're just a blog. And of course, I take that way more personally than I should. I mean, so, yeah, we can't really, based on the B in SB Nation, we're never going to completely escape that. But, but the F in KFC no longer stands for fried, damn it. And their chicken is still lovely. Actually, I don't ever eat it. I go to Popeye's. But anyway, go to, go to South Florida. I go see a head coach in Willie Taggart that, no secret, I know pretty well. I've known well for a long, long time. Um, obviously, I did the embed with him for the Alabama piece in 2012. Um, I talked to Coach Taggart. I went and did a story about him being kind of not really recognized on like a national level for what he had done in South Florida. So, it's pretty obvious that I have an in there and that I know what's going on. I don't report that as it happens. That's not how it works. There are relationships and timing issues and all this. But I know that Willie's looking for a job. So I get it made up in my mind that, damn it, I'm going to break this. This is going to be one of those times where that little, that little crawler on SportsCenter that every random American seems to see while they're watching Stephen A. Smith, you know, trying to eat his face. 
uh, is going to say, as first reported by SB Nation, because at the time, Taggart was in the play for multiple open jobs, like big ones. So what happens, Bill? You got, I'll tell you, you what happened. You, you took a shower. I took a shower. And what I mean by that was I was embedded at West Point, and when you're embedded, you have really, really long hours because you want to be there before the first meeting starts all the way until the last coaches are leaving the office. So you can imagine, those are like 16-hour days. I'm going to pause the cough because <coughs> I'm still sick. So I got up at about, well, let me go backwards to make this story even longer. I, I talked with, with Willie, his reps, and knew that the Oregon thing was going to happen within like a 12-hour range. I knew when it was going to happen. And I talked specifically with the coach and I said, let me know if, you know, what's going to happen. And then I also contacted an outside source, a second source that had confirmed it. So I'm, I'm sitting on going, I'm ready to go. Right. So if I have the primary person involved and then a second source, I mean, you know, God's lips to my ears. But the problem is this, there are multiple people involved with every coaching hire. People always ask me, how does this happen? So you have the coaches themselves, you have their agents, you have the athletic directors at the school, then you have key influential boosters and administrators. So that right there is 85% of the, of, the, of the direct sourcing that you would need to feel comfortable to break it. Now, the other leftover 15% are the bajillions of assistant coaches that gossip like old hens. And that's how I get my leads to start with, and then I go hunting for someone to confirm it. Um, it's like a church sewing circle. Those assistant coaches are ridiculous. So... 5.15 a.m., it's snowing. I feel terrible. I feel like I've got pneumonia. Get up, got to get take a shower, go over to the Army offices for some defensive meetings, get in the shower, put my phone on like the little bathroom sink, whatever. Don't hear it when it goes off. Got the signal. Get out of the shower. Maybe seven minutes later, had the, had, had the, had the confirmation ready to go on my phone. And bam, it was already out there. Old sources, McMurphy at ESPN had gotten it. So here was a coach that I had sat on. And here was a, a storyline that I had sat on. And I'm probably not even doing this justice in this rambling story where for like weeks we talked about this at work. Like confirming with people in Oregon and chasing down every bad lead. And there's some leads that we're not even at liberty to talk about that were just insane Right, that we were the people that were mentioned or or allegedly in Eugene meeting with Phil Knight and all this stuff, and I stamped out every one of them, and, I, and then I took a shower and I lost the damn first reported by. Now, if this seems like a stupid story to you, you're a smart person because you don't care. And what I have to remind myself is most people don't care about who reported something first, right? There's this little college football bubble of people where it's like the Attaboy Society. And you tend to just give attaboys within your little bubble, right? And uh, a friend of mine, Travis Haney, formerly of ESPN and now at 247, he does the exact same thing. He lives here in Nashville, and we talk about it all the time. Like, if you walk up to people at a tailgate, let's say I go to your tailgate at Missouri, Bill, where all your friends, I've met them before, tailgated with them, highly intelligent college football fans, for the most part, they're not too drunk. Do they know that, like, the do they know who broke the news nationally that LSU had hired Matt Canada? Do they know? No. Right. They, do they don't. They don't. That's my point. So, but I had a lot of people ask me on Twitter, like, how does this happen, or how did like how does it all come together? That's about as much of a story as I can give you. Is that you literally have to be surgically attached to your cell phone. By the way, this news officially breaks in the morning for a West Coast job, and it was like 5, My f- the phone hit at like 5.20 Eastern a.m., so yeah, I, still need to, I still need to figure out if all the principals involved, if they were in Florida, and, well, I guess one person that I talked to was definitely on the West Coast, so, I mean, this stuff happens 24 hours a day. That's why it's called the silly season. It sucks. It really sucks. I think that's why everybody just gets together in New York during the Heisman Week and gets drunk is because we're all in the same place at the same time. But I was in West Point. Never ever doing well, in bed during a coaching <laughs> a coaching rumor cycle. And by the way, I'm giving that advice to like the seven people in the world that that would apply to. So, yeah, no, I mean that was the whole point of putting the Heisman or the Heisman, excuse me, where it was because you know first of all everybody's in town for the Heisman and second of all everybody feels like chicken. Yeah, 
It's weird. I don't know. It's, uh, we, uh, that week, like, I can't, I'm trying to figure out what I'm at liberty to say. Like, everybody, people, like, like, head coach, sitting head coaches who are not going anywhere, everybody turns into a gossip. It's like everything is TMZ that week. <laughs> Did you hear this? Like, can you believe that? It's just amazing how chatty, like, lunchroom table it gets for about two weeks. And I mean, it's still going on. It's trickling on right now. Whereas guys like Bruce kind of make their bones, I really think, and that's why he's he's the bell cow, is the, you know, secondary coaches are being hired on these new staffs. Or, you know, they're, they're staffs making coordinator changes. And for us at SB Nation, we don't really break those out as individual stories, right? So if Arkansas is replacing their defensive backs coach, or and I just, hypothetically, I don't think Paul Rhodes is going anywhere, but... You know, that's not really a story that we go out and flesh out in 500 words. Now, if our Arkansas team site picks it up, that's great. So I hear about a lot of that stuff now, but I don't have to, I don't have to go and triple, triple source check it and then have content ready because really just because you guys who listen to the show and read our content have kind of deemed that something that you're not necessarily dying to click on. Now, I'm trying to think of, oh, Dave Aranda is a good example. Dave Aranda, we treated like a coaching hire because when, whether or not he was going to stay or go, or, you know, maybe entertain an offer from the league. Like, that was a big one. And then, of course, Lane Kiffin. Which, by the way, we did make ESPN credit us because we were the first people to break that Lane Kiffin was interviewing in Houston. So, hang on. Hang on real quick. Let me just, uh, you getting this on audio? Pat myself on, you feel that? Yes! Woo! (laughs) All right. Well, that was self-serving. I mean, if you want to, if you if you want to feel better about serving yourself, I can talk about pr- uh, projections. I put up a piece on um, I don't know Monday or Tuesday, I guess about Tuesday, I think about um, Wednesday, whatever this week, this week Wednesday, I guess. Um, Time is irrelevant. Uh, yeah, about where uh, where S and P projections this year went right and wrong, uh, and it's kind of funny. Um, How'd you do? I mean, pretty good. Like, the correlation, not that this matters to anybody else, but, like, when I started doing this originally, like, the correlation between projections and reality was, I don't know, something in, like, the .68 to .7 range, which isn't bad. It's not great. Uh, But this year, I think it was, like, .78. So, I mean, S&P is theoretically getting better, and then my ability to project what S&P will do is getting better. And, And, you know, those are happy things. But still missed on a ton of teams because you're always going to miss on a ton of teams. Uh, but you go to the link, you can kind of sort around. You can look at the preseason. You can sort by preseason rank and my prep, my power rankings that I put out uh, in uh, that right after the preview series, right there at the end of August. Uh, you can look at the present rank and blah, 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 blah. Um, a couple of the things that I found pretty interesting about the list overall, like number one, I mean, this always happens. Like the the teams that the numbers are going to underestimate are going to be the mid majors that kind of come out of not necessarily out of nowhere but put things together um, because I mean you know my projections among other things my projections include recruiting rankings and that's always going to hurt mid majors as a whole because I mean because that's what the numbers say will happen it's not like I'm it's a punishment thing but that's just recruiting rankings are relatively are just accurate enough to use in projections and so yeah I mean. Colorado State was projected 96th, and uh, granted, uh, they were 23rd. They're, they're no longer going to be in the top 30, I'm assuming, after uh, after Thursday night's game. But regardless, hey, quick, still... is there a way for you to round that off? What do you mean? Well, you know, I'm making this up off the top of my head. We probably asked Bud Elliott. How many four-stars go to mid-majors? Like yeah, if, almost if, none. Right, so recruiting rankings, if you if you use, you know, one is the value of one and a five-star is the value of five, like, that's going to happen every time. But yeah, then you have this, this tier that, like, our, our podcast lives in mm-hmm. of, like, the Houstons of the world being as competitive or better than Power 5 schools, but even then, they're, they're, they're ne- that's never going to translate over to recruiting to where that numerically would show up. Well, like, what, I mean, what the recruiting you? rankings tend to look like is there's just, yeah, there's a bunch together. Like, so the, the number one team in, in a given recruiting class, uh, the difference between number one and number 10, or let's say number one and number 20. Okay, so let's say Alabama and number 20 uh, in terms of the star rankings and the averages or whatever. That's going to be a pretty significant difference. The difference between one and 20 is going to be pretty big, much bigger than, say, the difference between 41 and 60. But... Okay. 
that's also how performance goes. Uh, you know, the bell curve, like the teams in the middle are relatively close together to where if you play really well one week, you can move up 15 spots by, because you moved up like two or three points. Probably not that much, but pretty close. Um, whereas the teams at the top are, have separated themselves. So it does kind of follow the same kind of bell curve that um, that performance does. Although I will say, I mean, a couple of years ago, well, back when I, the correlations weren't as strong, I, I attempted to do this. Maybe I should revisit it this offseason with the other 438 things I've got lined up now for this offseason, including promoting a book, by the way. Um, so what I did was I basically created two two profiles. You know, Phil still has his nine, power, nine sets of power rankings, and I, I basically created a profile for projecting power conference teams and non-power conference teams. Didn't really, I think it made it slightly more accurate, but it was a giant pain and there wasn't much payoff. But yeah, maybe there's a way to do that better now. Um, simply because the teams that the 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 way you go about building a a a, a group of five power or strong team is is still going to be different. But in the end, it still requires you to recruit better than your competitors. Um, it also requires you to develop better and all those things. But the recruiting certainly uh, helps. And by the way, that's why we'll be talking about UTSA, UTSA this off season at some point because they actually overachieved, got to a bowl, and now they've, they're have they currently, I think, first in Conference USA in terms of recruiting class. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I mean, th- those things do still th- – those th- there is still an advantage to be found. Western Michigan is proof of that. Uh, South Florida is actually kind of proof of that too. There's an advantage to be found in recruiting rankings at the mid-major level. But, yeah, it's still different. It's still di- – South Bill, Florida is not Alabama. Bill, take a note. Um, yes, yes. We should, we should create a new ranking system – where either on like a three or a four year clip we we go back and weed out the signing day rankings for like people who never showed up, um, right. grade casualties. Rivals used to rivals used to do that, but they Somebody don't. Like they used that, to have, like essentially create a weighted system after it was, well, it was basically an enrolled ranking. They would they would yeah. go back and they would post the rankings for like late in late August when they were enrolled. I guess that was too much of a pain or something because I don't think they do that anymore. But no, well, no what I would do is I would take the top fifty teams just arbitrarily, <laughs> wait until they're juniors, three years in, and then I would I don't know create some sort of system where it's. The guys who didn't show up, the guys who got kicked off, grade casualties, but then also underperformers. I don't well, know right. how you do that, though. So I, I kind of do that just simply because um, what I use in my projections for recruiting rankings are two-year rankings. They're basically they're intended to – because by, by year four, you are your, your performance. You're not your recruiting ranking anymore. You are whatever you've done on the field. Uh, and so like when I started using two-year performance instead of five-year performance from a recruiting standpoint – the, the projections did get better because, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore what class – like your senior class, even if it was the number one ranked uh, recruiting class in the country, um, that moment's kind of passed. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, so th- that's why I moved to two is basically to do what, you were, what you're saying here. It's, it, it's what, uh, so the two things that I, I, I'm really interested in kind of pursuing uh, moving forward – I mean, number one, uh, I've already started tinkering with this a little bit. I think it helps the pro- projections a smidge, but not a lot. Basically, kind of a balance between like your returning produ- production, that that percentage figure that I started using this year. Um, you know, based on the weights of you know how important is it to return your passing yards versus your receiving yards and all that. Yeah. Um, basically, trying to create like a little balance where the more you return, the more of last year's production that you return, the less that recruiting the less weight recruiting gets. Because if you return everybody from your two deep, not many of those recruits are going to, even if you have a great recruiting class, not many of those recruits are going to crack the two deep. Uh, now, I mean, more will if you're a bad team as compared to a good one, but I think there's still a little balance there where uh, super experienced teams probably don't need to have their recruiting carry as much weight. So I'm working on that. Um, the other thing is, I mean, I would just love to get to, this gets back to your enrollment thing. Uh, I've talked to Bud about this, like, uh, you know, with the, the, all the information that I collect in the off season for the preview series, it seems to me like I could come up with a, a decent way of kind of quote unquote projecting a, a team's too deep. Uh, and once you have that, you, uh, you know, the, the, you know, if it's a five-star guy, who's not going to play this year, it doesn't matter that you signed that five-star guy. It only like the, what I want to do is create kind of a matrix of, of like experience and recruiting rankings within that too deep. Um, Essentially just find the, the deepest teams in college football. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the idea. Yeah, and and my other thought is, you know, 
if you're a like a five star freshman is kind of like a four star sophomore is kind of like a three star junior right and, and like that experience makes you better so if you have a team full of three stars but you've got a team full of juniors and seniors with lots of good experience you're probably going to be really good um as opposed to having like congratulations on that number four recruiting class you just uh, signed you're going to be playing like 17 you're going to be starting like 17 for true freshmen this year you're not going to be very good mm-hmm. um so there is, I think, a balance there. So uh, Alabama, like, but it's really hard, right? Well, and, and it is funny too because this year, um, with the recruiting rankings have said a, a few different things. First of all, uh, you know, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, I believe, are three of the least experienced teams in the country, um, per whatever measure. I just saw that like in a tweet or something. Especially Ohio State, though. Um, they're super inexperienced. So, you know, the recruiting rankings kind of helped to boost them a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, the freshman or the redshirt freshman that Ohio state was playing is a little different than a redshirt freshman that, um, that Ohio would be playing. But at the same time on my list, like I, uh, this list that I posted, there are, I, it was like the teams that most drastically overachieved, uh, their, their projected rankings and the teams that most drastically underachieved, of the 18 teams that I missed by at least 30 spots, which is 30 is a pretty significant margin, even in the middle where teams are close together, eight of those 18 teams were uh, among the top 25 in last year's recruiting. So they got a boost in my projections based on recent recruiting uh, that did not play out at all. So, I mean, it's, it's massive contrast there. You've got Ohio State boosted by recruiting uh, despite being young, and then you've got these other teams maybe trying to rely on youth a little too much and failing at it. Um, so it gets really, gets really weird. And, and of course, since there are kind of extremes on both edges, this won't really affect my projections at all. Um, because they're just, they're all, it's for every, for every good example, there's a bad example. That's why coaching changes are hard to project too. Cause you know, two guys with the same criteria, one or two with the same resume, more or less one fails and one succeeds. Well, look, they're all going to attack the day with enthusiasm. They're going to be multiple on offense and they're going to be aggressive on defense. Pretty much. Oh, and one other thing, uh, by the way, that I'll probably try to write about today or Monday. Um, I, I was also looking at, this is probably overfitting, so I probably won't do it, but one of the things I was tinkering with for, for a future enhancement in the, in the projections, um, on average, if you, are a, if you have a first-year coach and you've been really good recently, you are going to drop. If you have a first-year coach and you've been really bad recently, you're going to go up. But on average... Everybody improves in year two under a given coach, or almost everybody. It seems to be the if you're looking at you know coaches in their first, second, third, fourth year, that seems to be the one uh, truism is that you're almost certainly going to improve in year two. Even Kansas improved in year two this year. Couldn't hardly tell, but but technically they did. Um, did. And if you don't, then you then your odds. If you're still really bad and after two years, you'll probably improve after, after in your third year. Uh, and then after that, it doesn't matter because you're not going to be around for a fourth year if you haven't improved by then. Kansas is going to a bowl next year. I'm just not going to bet chicken on it. I got to find my chicken bet for 2017, but I've got mm, six months. I, I think Jason still has good odds if you stick it at about four wins for Kansas, but that's my. No, we look, we look. I, I won Cal. I lost. I, man, how the hell did they not beat TCU? They screwed that field goal up. Um. I lost Kansas. I gotta find a team that I think is gonna win at least four games that Jason that Jason doesn't in twenty seventeen. So I just gotta figure that out. I don't know, we'll see. Let's do questions. We got some Raider questions. Let's do questions. Thanks. Raul Rodriguez. Let me preface this question by saying he wrote into the one podcast in this entire company that doesn't involve a Florida graduate. <laughs> hey guys, I'm a Florida alum. In this week's podcast, you alluded to the culture of Florida making it difficult for Muschamp to succeed. I was wondering if you could expand on this. Um, Specifically, before he goes any further, I'm just going to say, yeah, they made him hire Charlie Weiss. Uh, Several of us diehards who are also message board insiders sense that there is a systemic issue at Florida. Although he never admitted Spurrier left because he was unhappy there. Zook was fired before he ever coached a game there. Meyer was miserable there even when winning and seems happier in Columbus than he ever was in Gainesville. Muschamp didn't seem to get the support that he needed and made a bad OC hire in Weiss that cost him dearly in year three and four of his regime. He was also miserable there during his tenure. Now, Jim McElwain seems to be the latest UF coach who appears to be unhappy. He had some back-channel flirtations with Oregon. Uh, Let me jump in. This is me. Uh, That was true. Yes, it was just flirtations, though. Um, And he's been outspoken about the fan base's criticism of the team. 
in your opinion, what is it about UF that makes these coaches miserable? <laughs> uh, was it Jeremy Foley's eagerness to invest in non-revenue sports at the expense of football? Bill and I read this uh, question off the air before we started, and we were like, like, er, what? I've never heard of that, but I'm, <laughs> that's I'm not the, That's the thing, better. apparently. I didn't even know that existed. Um, that's very Florida. This is a bone of contention in the fan base. Is it the lack of uh, is it the lack of homogenous group of alumni like Ole Miss, Bama, Auburn, and UGA have? Or, wait, hang on, wait. Does this a Florida fan complaining that he doesn't have the kind of alumni that Ole Miss does? Oh God! Wait, is it a lack of homogenous. I actually stopped reading after the. Okay, so. Uh, oh, I love you. Oh, we got. We got to talk. We, you and yeah, I got to be move Jesus. in the same direction when it comes to fundraising. Yeah, oh, so like, move in the same direction when it comes to fundraising. So basically, like you can what? you can rally everybody to supporting one thing. Well, Raul, I you and I need oh, to talk. Oh, yeah, Bama didn't do that before. Uh, Saban, no. I don't think. So. No, I think. All right, hang on. Let me finish the question. Yeah, we farted it on or an accent. Um, <laughs> not farted. It. What's the what's the term? Fist, fisked it? I don't know. It seems in coaches and ADs of the uh, aforesaid schools, lots of point for aforesaid, um, yeah, have an yeah. easier time getting the key boosters on the same page. Is it the fans' expectations being out of whack? Whatever it is, the pressure of the job isn't lining up with the rewards. Uh, where any of these things? Uh, where are any of these things that you ref- referred to when you discussed the culture? Nonetheless, I would love for you to discuss Florida's culture with Godfrey's connections and with all the Florida grads at SB Nation, none of which are here right now. Uh, I bet you guys have some good insight. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Raul. Um, I enjoyed your question. And also his little email avatar. It looks like he's got a pretty cool orange orange suit blazer. Oh, so yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, he does. Um, Raul, don't worry about Florida in terms of fundraising and alumni in relation to schools like Auburn and Ole Miss. No, 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 no. Yeah. Or even Georgia, for that matter. It's still Florida. Y'all still richer and forfeit up a bull's ass. Um. Huh, okay. Those schools, to the extent that those schools have had have been able to be like rallied together for fundraising. A Georgia wasn't under Rick necessarily. They were because they hired Kirby, uh, and we'll see how long that lasts if Kirby doesn't start winning next year. Um, B Ole Miss wasn't exactly united before Hugh Freeze put together a couple of good seasons. Also, they're in the uh, poorest C, state in the union. Right. See, uh, Bama is is as soap opera y as anyone else when Nick Saban isn't their head coach. Yes. And D Auburn is just the most soap opera y place Regardless. in the world. So Yeah, yeah so no, Auburn is not... a perpetually warring city state that even even with Nick Saban would still be trying to like commit some sort of bizarre coup d'etat every uh, every other week, okay? Auburn is so un- is so consistently unstable it seems stable. <laughs> all right. Ole Miss is in the state of Mississippi, which is 2 million people, the poorest part of the country, and three Division One programs with no state population, an absolutely horrific public education system they have to get kids qualified to play in. Look, when, when that's why everyone thinks they're cheating all the time, even though they're cheating as much as the every other school we mentioned here, is because if you can, if you can able, if, if you're able to stand up and reach the brass ring from that little, you know, molehill, then that's amazing. So you're Florida. There's just dumb, like, I don't know, aren't y'all still racing helicopters filled with cocaine? No, don't worry about that. All right, to be somewhat serious for a second, he goes through these graphs and he's trying to figure out if there's a through line between Spurrier's frustration, Zook's mess, just completely sort of botched tenure, Meyer's frustration, and Muschamp never getting off the ground. Bill, what was the same thing during all of that? Well, Jeremy Foley, among other things. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I think he was, he, he obviously fully did a lot of good things in terms of fundraising and, and building Florida. I mean, Florida didn't have a brand in like 1989. Uh, he, what, he wasn't AD when Spurrier was hired, but he was like number two, right? In that, it was something like that, I think. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, the Zook hire was a reach. That's why fans didn't really like him from the start. He, it was a reach and then it didn't pay off. I just, you know, it was like freaking Frank Haith and Missouri basketball here. It seemed weird at the start and it turned out to be weird. And, and fans never really, you know, he was quote unquote fired before he ever coached a the game there. When he was winning, he wasn't, but he just didn't win enough. Um, Naira was miserable. I think that seemed like a lot of personal demons going on there too that he seemed I would to- posit that if you put Meyer at Notre Dame instead of Florida... 
he would have gone through roughly the same experience. Yeah, I think that was him more than Florida. Although, I mean, it was a high pressure situation, especially once you've won a couple titles. It, you know, the the expectations are so high that it, be, it does become miserable. That's not necessarily a Florida thing. Florida did um, get super complacent, and they do have tendencies and traits befitting a pro sports franchise in a transient urban city. I mean, right. any year that they were to go to the Sugar Bowl. Or the or the non we're in the national title game bowl the the turnout's never good. I mean, there well, I mean, in twenty twelve, yeah, in twenty twelve when uh, they were going eleven and one in the regular season, uh, oh, Missouri, uh, yeah, they got Louisville. Yeah. But even in mid November, they 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 hosted Missouri and they won lost one game all year. They were technically national title contenders, and there were a lot of empty seats in the swamp for that game. Did you go? Uh, no, but I could see it on television. Uh, but regardless, uh, I mean, that was not a massive atmosphere for, uh, you know, a, a quote-unquote powerful football team. So, I mean, yeah, maybe there are some of those transient issues. But, I mean, in, in I terms like of must fat but, and complacent as far as the yeah, fan base goes. And, and Jeremy Foley made a lot of bad decisions. He made yeah. some good ones, but he made a lot of bad ones too. McElwain is not a dynamic guy in personality. No. He's just not. The resources are there. I know that they're not. They don't have the foothold in recruiting in state that you usually need to become a dominant national program. I mean, the reputation of, for Florida right now is probably third behind, of the of the big three. Uh, second, I think they're still ahead of Miami in terms of rep, in terms of perception and reputation. I'm talking about like as I'm talking about feet on the street right now. Like I don't know. Ask Bud, see what he thinks. But I would oh, say. Well, right I mean, now. yeah. If you're talking about this year specifically, yeah. maybe yeah. But like That's just what I'm recent about. times, yeah. Okay. They're not trending upwards in recruiting, and if you're not trending upwards in recruiting the state of Florida, you are trending uh, sharply downward, especially with what's going on. I do – state of Florida hires are going to be the ACC hires of this year, where we like yeah, beat that into the ground. That's fascinating. Yeah, Charlie Strong and Lane Kiffin. But there is some truth to that. There is. I don't think that FAU, just because they hired Freshwater, they're going to suddenly come up and snatch away some four-star safety from Florida. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, – they are high. I mean, those staffs are going to have really good between FIU, FAU, and, and South Florida. And by the way, UCF. To go back to Taggart for a second, I sat in the room on Thanksgiving morning while they were watching tape, getting their game plan together. Every single person in the room was like, "They're going to be really good next year." <laughs> like you could just see the pieces coming together. Where like the 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 biggest compliment I can pay UCF is that the uh, the South Florida coaches kept saying, "Man, these guys are a." Like way too much of a pain in the ass for year one until about the fourth quarter when their depth just gets the best of them. Like they're gonna be good. Scott Frost is going to turn them around and then he's gonna move on. But until then, they're gonna be as good as. I mean, they could top out in that ten win range and go back to. I mean, I'm not saying they're gonna go back to what was the Fiesta they played in. Yeah, yeah. It's a loaded state. It's on the table. Yeah, that's true. It's a loaded state, no doubt. Um, I don't think Florida's going to fall off the map. They did lose a really good D.C. and Jeff Collins. Um, <sighs> Raul, I think you need to... Hmm, I think you need to look at the through line. I think you need to go back because this is a big, broad question. Um, Florida makes coaches miserable because you have really, really high expectations and very, very little in the way, I think, of, of a natural passion. I think the difference culturally between Florida and the schools that you mentioned, like Bama and Ole Miss um, and Georgia... There's a an absence of southernism in Florida that's allowed them to succeed to this level um, because of the the heavy amount of urban migration into the state of Florida and the amount of money that came in. Those are all good things. That's why that's why these awesome athletes grow on trees down there. It seems, but at the same time, I think it also does create some complacency within a fan base. I don't know if McElwain was the right pick. He's not a bad football no. coach. Those things. He's, yeah, he's fine. He's yeah. fine. I want to sit those Nothing. things next to each other. Like, like, uh, help me out here. I mean, like McElwain. If you hired him at, um, I don't know. Give me the best Jim McElwain fit right now. If you had to hire him somewhere. Oh, um, you you would assume that uh, he could do pretty good things at that that kind of like that Michigan State style school uh, yeah. where you're going to get some really good recruits and you can have really good seasons, but you don't you're not going to sign you're not expected to sign top five classes or win the national title every year. Um, that, um, yeah. That's the problem right now. Is he's a, he's he's a good coach who can sign top ten or fifteen recruiting classes and and win games. Well, win two division titles, even though that sort of only half counts. Um, but he's not going to sign top five recruiting classes necessarily. He's not going to be that. 
And so if that is what is expected, then they shouldn't have hired him to begin with. And, and maybe, maybe it's as simple as that. Scott Strickland's a new athletic director. He comes over from Mississippi State. I know him pretty well. Uh, very, very different personality in relation to Foley. Um, I do think it's fair right now to question how much involvement Foley's going to have directly with Strickland and how much of the show is going to be Strickland's for the time being. Um, Florida's won their division twice. It's impossible to talk about McElwain without mentioning he's sort of done his job. I mean, look, this was supposed to be Tennessee's time. It's not. Florida has done good things. Um, they've fallen. Got, I mean, they've fallen off offensively drastically for two straight years. That's what I was about to say. They've got to figure out offense because I do think that that's a huge problem. They hired a, they hired a defensive coordinator and then they poisoned the well on offense, right? And they're still recovering from that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem. Watching them this year, especially midseason, they did kind of tail off at the end. But watching them mid-year, I think you could see what they wanted to do offensively. Their offensive line wasn't in a position to allow them to do it, and they just didn't have the quarterback. They still don't have the quarterback. Um, you know, I was it Stidham? Did he? I know he was considering Florida. Did he end up picking Florida, or is he still a free agent so far? I think he's uh, at the Baylor kid. Is he okay? I think um, Stidham. Yeah, I mean, that's Auburn. they need more experience on the offensive line, which they'll get. Um, but then they also need a quarterback, and we still don't know that they have that. And it's hard to it's hard to break through offensively when you don't. Um, all right, so it's we're at like fifty two three minutes. I'm going to try to get at least one more reader question here. We got like five good ones, and now we we because we just talked about ourselves too long. We don't have enough time. Um, I, I I thought I did like this one. This is a very Godfrey question uh, from our friend uh, at Michigan, Mark Wagner. Go blue, he says in the PS part of the email. Um, he's cool. Hey guys, love the podcast. He's good people. Uh, Hey guys, love the podcast. Quick question. Sorry if it's a dumb one. It is not. Uh, we always hear about the up and coming coaches as great recruiters. Fleck at Western Michigan, Herman, formerly at Houston, et cetera. What are these coaches pitching? Are they that good at pitching the school? Are they lying slash embellishing how long they'll stay? Are they typically up front with the recruits about taking another job soon as the players are uh, soon and the, uh, the players are just okay with that? Uh, I'm talking especially about scenarios like this upcoming season for Fleck and the past one with Herman, where it's pretty much universally accepted they'll be moving on in a year or so at most. Uh, it would seem hard to recruit at mid-majors in general, but the rumors of head coach leaving would create further issues. Um, yeah, first of all, it's going to be really fun when I start the MAC previews in a few months and everybody goes, "Whoa, wait, Fleck is still at Western Michigan, isn't he? Um, that was weird. But, Man, I think, uh, boy, that storyline just, like... Stop. It was like the film stopped. It just broke, and there's just no resolution to it. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of ran out of jobs. I mean, I mean maybe it still comes back around uh, if, some, if somebody gets hired away to the NFL or whatever. But, yeah, like once he wasn't going to get the Oregon job, it's like, oh, I, I guess he's staying then. Just want to throw this out real quick. Uh, kind of similar to Tom Herman last year. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and I mean, it is kind of, I, I understand people saying, you know, he kind of blew the blew his best shot because they're not going to go 12-0 and next year. They have a lot of a lot of good players who aren't going to be on the team next year. They still have recruited better than anybody else in the MAC. They're still yeah. going to be uh, talented as compared to the rest of the division. But yeah, 12-0 and is not going to happen. You know, maybe a 9-3, and 8-4, and maybe. Maybe they do better than that, but there's a le- that's at least on the table, and then you have to worry about looking like your stock is falling. Obviously, that didn't hurt Herman this year. Um I think Herman had more benefit of the doubt than Fleck because, um, well, I mean, a lot of you know, the, the cartoonish side of the row the boat thing, but then also uh, Herman had the Urban Meyer cachet to begin with uh, and was seen uh, when, when Fleck started out, nobody knew who he was, and then he went 1 and 11 his first year. So that's been a slow build. People assumed huge things out of Herman and then got huge things immediately. So I think that was. I, I think falling to nine and three or eight and four would hurt Flex stock a little bit more than it hurt Herman, but he's still a hell of a recruiter. He's still going to get a major job if he continues to do well. But yeah, I mean, but to to he's his big. question, I thought this was an interesting like what what was what was Tom Herman selling when he went out and, and signed the best uh, mid major class uh, in the country last year, despite the fact that everybody knew he would be going to Texas at the end of the year. Yeah, um, he's selling reality. Honestly, okay. I think when you look at some of these, some of those players were scouted to, you know, like are we talking about Ed Oliver specifically? Well, I mean, they, I mean, he was obviously the the bell cow of that class, but they was still well far and above. Uh, I mean, there were other four star kids in there. It was far and away the best mid major class in the country, and it was in the okay, like, well, it was in the thirties, and almost nobody else was in the forties. I think. So let's talk about signing day two thousand sixteen. 
Okay. Texas closes like a monster, right? They had a bad offseason, but they make a hire that's, that comes off the Baylor tree, something that really engages and reinvigorates Texas high school football coaches. And then they close like like a monster. They they flip guys. They they shoot up the charts. I think even and then eventually with the Baylor defections, they finish as like a I think consensus top ten signing class. <clears throat> so as that's going on, it doesn't look like Charlie Strong's going to get fired. <clears throat> Ergo, it doesn't look like Tom Herman's leaving. Herman had good offers, decent offers out the previous season. So it's not an automatic. Now keep in mind the aggressive messaging that, that these assistants and, and their head coach um, push to these kids. Don't listen to these people. Don't listen to the outside. Uh, I mean, negative and positive recruiting is so hyperbolic on both sides, it eventually just kind of washes out, and I think kids are just looking for fit. So in, the term, in, in terms of Houston, it's not just that your coach might leave. That's not the absolute. That's really not how you're structuring your decision. I think recruits and services are becoming so much more savvy that they're starting to understand that you know you're making a business decision based on the outlet you have to be at for three years versus a coach for a year or two. So they looked at the city of Houston. They, I mean, it sounds like I'm I'm recruiting for Houston now, but they looked at the city of Houston. They looked at the the brand new resources available. In a lot of kids' cases, they didn't have offers that were, you know, it's not like they turned. There were tons of kids turning down like A and M and Florida State to go there. Um, in certain cases, they did pull some kids in. I think it was a culture and an attitude, but I also think that's a big reason why Major Applewhite has that job now. They've promoted from within and retained the same culture specifically to keep those kids engaged. So, um, I don't know, I feel like I didn't do a good job answering that. I, I, I think the short answer is kids aren't as reliant on a commitment from a head coach as I think fans would think. You may be... Yeah. contrast yeah. that with like people you know like players saying if Charlie goes you know we go like they thought there was a very much an emotional outpouring in the locker room they love their head coach no doubt but I guess the short answer is that 17 year olds are a hell of a lot more business savvy than we give them credit for <laughs> yeah and, and I mean it does bear mentioning too that I mean we call PJ Fleck an incredible recruiter because he's signing top 60 classes at Western Michigan it's, I mean he's not he's not landing four star kids uh, I mean, it's very good. It's very good. It's just it's not – he's not landing like 10 four-star kids per class. There, There is a kind of a relative to expectations thing here. And, I mean, that's that's fair. And, I mean, if you can do that at Western Michigan, then, I mean, you, you inherit a top 20 program, you should be able to sell the hell out of that. So I think there's value in looking at it. But, yeah, we still it, – it, we're still talking about that. We're not talking about Western Michigan signing top 20 classes or anything like that. They're not going to. Yeah. That's never going to happen. <laughs> um, Sam Thomas, this is a good one. Bill and Godfrey are moving to Denver soon, and honestly, one of the things I'm most excited about are college football games kicking off two hours earlier. I'm with you, Sam. Um, having lived most of my life in Florida, this is a great opportunity to expand my college football viewing horizons to include the not-so-late-night-anymore Pac-12 and Mountain West yeah. games. I think it might be fun to adopt the G5 team out west, and I wanted to know your thoughts on how to do this and what criteria to use by making an important decision. My alma mater is a blue blood, Florida State, so winning isn't that important to me. Good. And plus, I don't want to be a bandwagon fan. Well, you're going to be a bandwagon fan. That's okay. Additionally, just, I don't the have... The bandwagon might be empty. That, that's yeah, the it might difference. be a crappy bandwagon. Uh, additionally, I, have no, uh, I don't have any pre- preconceived notions of any schools out west, aside from what I've watched on TV. Should I pick a near, team nearby, like Colorado State, or should I pick a team that is a lost cause with the hope one day that they can pull it all together for a dream season, like New Mexico State? Damn, Sam. <sighs> I enjoy listening to the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Sam. Well, Sam, you know my answer. Powder River. That's why I wanted to read this question off. Um, felt really bad for my uh, my Wyoming Cowboys, my one true favorite team in all sports. Um, they, uh, I think it. I, I just want to blame it all on the rain, much like Millie Vanilli would. Okay. I mean, there was certainly just as Colorado State was more affected by uh, the slippery Boise turf yesterday. Um, there's no question that, that, that a slippery ball cost them seven to 10 points in a three point win. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you could certainly, you could certainly blame it on the rain there. Um, Who's your no, choice I, I think the important, huh? Who's your choice? Who do you draft them to? So I think the key here is that you don't, is that you, you take and the, the way, time. Does, and st- does Utah count? No. He said, he said G5. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, Utah does not count. Um, I think the, I think it's a weird thing adopting a team like this. Like, um, 
you know, I, I went, I was in London with my mom on a trip in like 1994 and enjoyed that Nottingham Forest was named Nottingham Forest and they had a tree on their, on their shirt and they had a good fun young team. So I adopted them like all the other terrible decisions I made, I adopted them. But regardless, you kind of, you don't pick a team. It kind of picks you and you never really know why. And so maybe it's that you like, you pick Colorado state because you really, you find that, you know, at some point you visit Fort Collins, you're like, holy crap, this is an amazing college town. And so you end up, uh, Right. And so you pick Colorado State or maybe maybe you like the blue of Air Force's uniforms or maybe you like the defense that Utah State plays or played before this year. Um, I I mean, you just kind of it picks you if you you just have to like, you know, just dabble a little go go on a lot of dates uh, and and try it out. I think that's the most important thing, because if you just say like, I'm going to pick Wyoming because Stephen Godfrey likes it. And then you find that, you know, you really don't actually enjoy anything about Wyoming or watching them play. That would be sacrilegious, I realize. Then you're just a son um, of a bitch. But yeah, I mean, the, the key here for any of this is just to kind of let yourself get adopted and, and, and see who you end up drawn to. Maybe it's just a, the, the best team in the Mountain West next year, whoever that is. Um, or maybe you just find yourself uh, rooting for a, a New Mexico State team in a massive underdog situation, and so you root for that. I, I think it's that's that's all it is. There, this is not a decision that can be made for you, but you got a lot of choices. And uh, to reiterate, Fort Collins is a hell of a college town. It really is. Like as as much of a Wyoming fan as I truly am, I just felt like it, I think Bill's dead on. Laramie picked me when I when I went <laughs> to go cover a game there in two thousand four. Laramie picked me. Fort Collins. If if you had to live and raise a family, you do it in Fort Collins with its little bicycle pass and breweries and <laughs> outdoor yoga in the summers and all that other stuff that, you know, is awful. Laramie is, Laramie fits me. I wear cowboy boots yeah. everywhere. Um, I mean, I was a chain smoker he, he does. in my 20s and I can drink whiskey exceptionally well and I like everything about the disposition. But the biggest thing that drew me to it was their total angry defiance of logic. Which is that there's like two Division One football talents, maybe a year that come out of Laramie, or come out of the state of Wyoming. I'm sorry, and state yet they, right, yeah. and they still feel the football. And I just love, I love everything about that. I love the ingenuity and I love the defiance of Wyoming. So, and the logo yeah, and, and that's cool. kind of the colors were cool. Like I'm somebody who looks at those those white uniforms with the brown <laughs> and gold trim, and I'm like, I mean, like I, that's when I let out a string of positive expletives. So. I think my advice to Sam is to road trip a little bit. Maybe go check yeah. out some of these towns. Like, definitely hit up Fort Collins. Go to, go to a battle of the boot game between Colorado State and Wyoming. But also, like, go to Utah State. Uh, go to Air Force. Go to um, definitely go to Air Force. That's an easy. That's a pretty easy trip. Go check out Eastern Washington. <laughs> that's a, that's a tougher trip, but sure, yeah. No, I'm saying, but, I mean, it. it doesn't have to be a G five. It could be like a cool FCS team out there. I mean, because you you don't want to limit yourself too much. Go to New Mexico. Um. Let me think. I mean, go go to a BYU game. I, I've never actually been to Provo. I've done multiple BYU games, but never in Provo. I mean, ch- just check it out. And and look, yeah, if you're a Florida State fan and you don't have any conflict with cheering for Colorado, Boulder is you know an amazing place. Just I would love to. I haven't covered a game in Boulder. Go do that. Go cover. Yeah, a game I think in the Boulder. mistake here. The mistake here is to do what Bill Simmons did a long time ago. I still remember a piece he wrote uh, the when he was Tottenham Hotspur thing. Yeah, where he's like, you know, I, I talk to people, I wait all these things, and I've decided that the team that most uh, suits me is Tottenham Hotspur. And then, like, he actually tried to follow them and, like, oh, I'm not into this at all. <laughs> um, it picks you. And, and that was the same, you're, you're talking about Wyoming. When I, when I did the, the Sheffield Wednesday match a couple of years ago for the, the England road trip thing I did, uh, Sheffield picked me. And it, got, it gets awkward when uh, my two teams now are in the same uh, – level Forest and, and Sheffield Wednesday, but I just, I enjoyed the town. Uh, I enjoyed the game day experience. I enjoyed the blue. I enjoyed the little owl that they have as a mascot. I like, I just enjoyed it. And then when I returned home, I found myself like I was caring more about Wednesday matches than the forest matches that I was supposed to care about. Uh, and so, yeah, it just happens. And the more you expose yourself to the better decision you'll make. Look yeah, at that. I mean, that, that, that was like a therapy thing right there. That was a life advice. Kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I was, Bill. I watched Wyoming kick the crap out of my alma mater while I was still working for the student newspaper. And I <laughs> left the game, and I was like, this place is awesome. And so that's – there's something going on there. That wasn't anything that I could have predicted. So, oh, by the way, Montana, Montana State. Apparently that is something to to, to behold. Yes. Um, yes. I, I mean, like, I, I was just saying, promote the entire Big Sky. Big Sky's good and fun and uh, raucous. 
Mm-hmm. Idaho will fit very well in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Bill. Um, happy holidays, buddy. That's right. Uh, to you and yours. Um, I assume you're not what, you're not having to leave town for the first time ever. Course, I'm not having to leave of town. Of course not. That's the benefit of having a very small family tree and having all four grandparents living within ten minutes of you. Well, uh, you do not have to travel for. for I holidays. threw out a bunch of booty in my yard, and uh, all my LSU in laws actually came up here this year. They sniffed it out well, from uh, from about 500 miles out. So I was well, uh, I was pretty happy about that. Uh, I don't have to travel anywhere, and then I'm going to the Fiesta Bowl. So we will be back next week to talk playoff, ostensibly at least. And uh, thank you guys. Have a good holiday. Um, Hopefully this is uh, bridging the gap for those of you who are making the holiday drive. I know your pain. I've been there a thousand times. So... And we recorded this early so that if you're leaving on Friday afternoon, you got another podcast to listen to. Um, If you have a couple bucks... Please throw it to the direction yeah, of the buddy. GoFundMe campaign. Um, yeah, we, we forgot to mention it, but the season is ending in a couple, in a few weeks. Yeah, uh, and we got I mean, like, really like twelve hundred more. Yeah, and, and and if anybody wants to throw the two, I think it's two hundred. I'll do two hundred. If anybody wants to throw the two hundred, we'll do a uh, we'll do a twenty minute segment inside of the playoff on any team. I don't care. Yeah, San, San Jose, whatever, we'll do it. F- yep. FIU, we'll do it. Winthrop, UNC, Charlotte. I'm looking at you. <laughs> All right, uh, love you guys. Happy holidays. We'll see you next week. Yep.